Good afternoon and welcome to the Institute for Government. My name is Akash Pown and I'm pleased to be chairing today's event in conversation with Andrew R.T. Davies, who is the leader of the Welsh Conservative Group in the Seneth, the Welsh Parliament. Um, Andrew's been member of the Seneth since 2007 and he's in his second spell as leader of the Welsh Conservative group there um, having retaken the post in January of this year following a previous seven-year period as leader. This is the latest, the fifth in total, in our series of Elections 2021 events as part of which we've been speaking with leading politicians from all parties and from England, Scotland and Wales about the issues at stake in the devolved and local elections taking place on the 6th of May. And over the next 45 minutes or so, I will be posing a series of questions to uh, Mr Davies about the upcoming Welsh election, about the state of devolution to Wales, about relations between Westminster and the Welsh Government, and about what he would like to see change in how Wales is governed. If you in the audience have any questions of your own, then please just stick them in the chat function in Microsoft Teams. And um, if you don't mind, please also say who you are um, and I'll then put those questions to uh, Mr Davies as the conversation progresses. You can also upvote other people's questions if you see suggestions that you approve of. So I think that's all for me by way of introduction. Um, Andrew, many thanks indeed for joining us for this event. Well, good afternoon. It's good afternoon now, not good morning, from a beautiful Vale of the Morgan in South Wales. Uh, forgive me for not wearing a jacket, but we're hitting the giddy heights of 16, 17 degrees down here today. We are, so it's a pleasure to join you. Look forward to the questions and uh, hopefully we'll get a good discussion going. Yes, thank you. Call me Andrew rather than Mr Davis, because I'm not old enough to be Mr Davis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay, Andrew it is, and I, 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 I ought to have clarified that with you. <laughs> um, okay, great. So, um, yeah, just to kick off then. So just yesterday, um, you gave a speech to, I think it was the, the Welsh Conservative Spring Forum uh, on your, your plans uh, for, the, for the election and uh, setting out some of your proposals for what you would like to do if you enter into government. Um, Welsh Conservatives have never been in government uh, in, in, in Cardiff, but there are opinion polls recently published that suggest the election is quite a tight race um, and it's possible that you may indeed overtake uh, Labour to become the largest party for the first time. Um, but I think it's very unlikely um, that you're going to end up with a majority of your own. So I suppose the best case scenario for you would be that you are uh, the leader of the largest group in the Senate, um, but then you will need to work with other parties if you want to enter government and, and achieve your objectives. So how would you go about doing that? Which other parties could you imagine working with and, and on what kind of a basis? Well, I think it's way too early in the electoral cycle to be talking of what might look after, what the political landscape might look like after May the sixth election. Uh, all we're focused on as a party is having those conversations with voters and making sure our candidates are getting out as best they can with the current restrictions 
to engage with voters so that people do turn out, because turnout is going to be critical in this election. Historically, we know that about 25% of the electorate disengage from a general election to a Welsh parliamentary election. Uh, normally about 70, 75% of the electorate choose to vote in a general election. Only 40, 45% vote in a Welsh parliamentary election. So turnout is going to be really important. And I think what's a big turnout for a lot of voters is when they see politicians of all colours trying to draw the landscape after the election before a single vote's been cast. So we're going in with a positive vision on the economy, on public services, on the environment, on transport. Uh, we're not focused on these discussions about what sort of backroom deals need to be had. We've ruled out a deal with the nationalists because I think the voters need to understand that as a unionist party, we wouldn't countenance a, an independence referendum. And I think that's what the voters want to hear because they don't want constitutional carnage after this election by a government's energy being zapped by constitutional referendum. They want a government going in to focus on the day-to-day -day issues that impact on their lives. And if we can make that case compellingly and optimistically to the voters, then hopefully we can encourage more people, traditionally the centre-right voters who've stayed at home at Welsh parliamentary elections, to actually come out and vote at this really important election. Okay, fine. Yeah, so we'll 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 watch with interest what does happen after after the election. But um, I understand. Uh, um, yes, you won't be you you won't be speculating too much at this point. Um, before we go on uh, to some of the the the. the big issues at stake, I suppose. Just wanted to come back to this point on turnout. So, I mean, as you said, um, Welsh elections, devolved elections have, have substantially lower turnout uh, historically than UK general elections. Are you particularly concerned about turnout because of uh, this election taking place in the context of, of, of coronavirus? I mean, is there anything you would like to say or you think the Welsh government should be doing to, to reassure voters that it will be safe to take part? Well, first of all, it will be safe to take part because obviously there are various options you can exercise to cast your vote, either by the postal vote system, which many people now choose to do, proxy voting or voting on the day in person. So there's a suite of options there and all the measures that I've seen to be put in place not just in Wales, but across the United Kingdom, give me confidence that these elections on May the 6th are safe, and I'd encourage as many people as possible to participate in the process. Uh, what's really important is to reflect that there are only two parties that have turned out in recent years the number of votes uh, to actually be in a position to form a government after May the 6th here in Wales. That's the Conservative Party and the Labour Party. In 2019 general election, 550 odd thousand people voted for the Welsh Conservatives at that election. That's more than have voted for Labour at any Welsh parliamentary election who have historically formed the largest party and been the party of government for the last 22 years. Uh, so we know that there's enough Conservative votes in Wales to make this happen. As I said, what we have to do is energise that vote to come out and vote in the sure knowledge that if they vote Welsh Conservative, they will get a Conservative uh, representative speaking for them and, and casting their vote accordingly in the Welsh Parliament. We've seen a Welsh Parliament that's just come to an end where some figures from other parties have jumped between the parties no fewer than five times, wearing five different rosettes on their lapels since the election in 2016. 
We've seen via the Brexit referendum that there is an appetite for uh, a political discussion here in Wales and to be different from maybe the consensus politics that existed here in Wales, because let's not forget that the Brexit referendum, uh, Wales voted along with other parts of the United Kingdom to leave the European Union. So there is an ability to break what is understood to be the political consensus here in Wales, turn out that centre-right vote and get it to vote Welsh Conservative if it ha if that block of votes has confidence that they can have Welsh Conservatives speaking and representing them in the Welsh Parliament come the days after and the weeks and months after May the 6th. Okay, um, so moving on then to the overall state of the of the devolution settlement uh, to, to, to Wales. Um, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, Labour's been in, in government in Cardiff for the entire 22 years of devolution, sometimes by itself, sometimes in coalition with other parties, though, though never with the Conservatives. Um, when you look at that two and a bit decades of devolution, um, do you think that Wales has been improved as a country by having those devolved institutions in place. I mean, Boris Johnson was quoted uh, just a few months ago as saying that in his view, devolution had been a disaster. I think he was talking more about Scotland, but it was taken to be a sort of assessment or a reflection of his overall assessment of devolution. Um, I mean, what's what's your view? Has, has devolution been good for Wales? Well, I think there's a lot in that question that you just put to me. And if I start maybe how you finish it with the Prime Minister's comments, I think it's fair to say the Prime Minister did clarify his comments by saying it wasn't the process of devolution. It was the policies of the Labour Party in a Welsh context and in the Scottish context, the nationalists have deployed uh, via their timing government in, in those intervening years of 22 years since the referendum uh, and the enactment of the devolution settlement back in 1999. So. It's not about the process because the process provides the toolkit to actually make those changes, make those improvements in people's lives. It's about the policies that obviously the government has chosen to enact and here in Wales, whether you look in educational terms, economic terms or public service terms, regrettably the performance hasn't been what the authors of devolution first envisaged. But I do think that we have a prime minister that does get devolution because let's not forget Boris Johnson made his name in City Hall in London um, via the mayoral role that he held for two terms. And I think in my discussions when I've had a few with Boris over the last couple of weeks and months since I assumed the leadership back in January, you definitely get a sense of a prime minister who understands how devolved politics works and where responsibilities lie through his own experiences in London being the mayor or, or in City Hall. It is really important, and I go back to this opening point that I was making about turnout, that we actually, through the COVID crisis, have got better engagement through the political process uh, through the people of Wales because so many decisions have been taken here in Wales and directly affect people the length and breadth of Wales. It was only recently, obviously after 20 years of devolution, that polls were still showing that at least 50% plus of the Welsh population believed that the NHS, for example, uh, was still run from London uh, rather than Cardiff. Now, when you think of the NHS and social care in Wales, that's consuming in excess of 50% of the government's budget. And when such an important part of that 
executive responsibility is still not fully understood by the electorate, you've got a real problem when you come to election time to actually hold the government to account at the ballot box. But COVID has allowed that responsibility to actually be understood far greater by the people of Wales. So that's why I'm optimistic when we go into this election that there will be a greater buy-in for the Welsh people because there aren't many benefits from COVID, but ultimately understanding where responsibility lies for schools and schools staying open, schools staying closed, or higher education staying open or staying closed, the public health decisions that have been taken, people do understand that that now is the responsibility and has been the responsibility for the last 22 years of the government in Cardiff Bay. It's for us as elected politicians or, or candidates in this case as an election approaches, to actually infuse that voter base to come out and vote with the manifesto and the policies that we're going to put before the people that you alluded to that I was talking about in my speech yesterday uh, to the Spring Forum. And that's why I will always keep repeating through this election campaign that I do not believe people want to see constitutional chaos. They want the government that assumes the mantle after May the 6th to get on with the job of improving the economy, improving public services and improving education here in Wales. Yeah. OK, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know you've you've um, you've used this phrase constitutional chaos and, and clearly, you know, you're, you're, you're opposed to major constitutional reform or a referendum on independence and so on. But I, I understand your position to be that there's no case at this point for any further devolution from from Westminster to uh, the Senate. Um, is that correct? And I just wonder if you could explain why you think that the current settlement is is where we should stay, basically, given that obviously there's various ways in which Scotland and Northern Ireland have substantially more powers and more autonomy than than does Wales. Well, the, the reason I come to that conclusion is because whoever gets elected back to the Senate on May the 6th uh, will be returning to a Welsh Parliament more powerful than any Parliament in its history. Uh, because of the Brexit settlement, there'll be a whole raft of new responsibilities coming straight to Cardiff Bay. 70 of new responsibilities, I think, in total of the 100 plus responsibilities that are transferring from Brussels back to the UK, as well as over the last 10 years, let's not forget the constitutional change that has seen a referendum to transfer full lawmaking responsibility to Cardiff Bay back in 2011. Two Wales Acts enacting uh, the Silk Commission report, which for those who aren't familiar with the Silk Commission was a commission set up by the Conservative government in the 2010-2015 Parliament that looked at constitu the constitutional settlement and the powers and made recommendations on transfers of powers and responsibilities that involved income tax, for example, which I was particularly keen to see transferred because at that time, we only had a devolution settlement that ultimately allowed the government to spend money, but not be held to account on the money that it was spending via the tax system. And so I was very keen to make sure that that responsibility was transferred as well. And that's why, as a Conservative, I do believe now that we've reached a point in the devolution settlement where instead of having the constant arguments over more powers, constitutional change, constitutional transfer, the next five years should be all about embedding down the responsibilities and enacting the responsibilities the Welsh Parliament has, which is the most powerful Welsh Parliament that has convened in history, I might add. 
Uh, and secondly, making sure that we deal with the fallout from the COVID crisis, in particular, rebuilding our public services. You know, one in five, one in five people are on a waiting list in Wales, and the economy is in desperate need of transformation. So we create job opportunities because we know the pressures in the job market at the moment are only going to get tougher the further on we go and as furlough starts to be pulled back and we get to a more normal economic environment. So we've seen what happened with the Brexit referendum and how exhausting that was to the political process once the referendum result came in. Is that really a question that needs to be asked that people want to spend the next five years seeing their government dealing with constitutional change or just using the tools in the toolkit to make the differences that they've pledged in their manifestos? I will know the answer to that on May the 6th, but when they vote Welsh Conservative, it'll be very clear what, what our response is to that question. OK, and I, I suppose it's interesting you use the you use the phrase um, you talk about the, 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 the toolkit that you already have, because I suppose this gets to the, the heart of the question. Do, do, do the Welsh devolved institutions have the necessary powers in terms of, say, the fiscal levers, borrowing capacity, that kind of thing to be able to achieve the kind of economic um, objectives that that you've set out i mean you've talked about leveling up wales creating tens of thousands of jobs building tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of homes uh investing in infrastructure and so on i think the welsh government perspective on this and we had rebecca evans as you may know speaking at an event like this just last week the welsh finance minister her point of view would be not that we want to see that they want to see constitutional change for its own sake but that they want to get hold of those additional powers in order that they can do more and, may, and maybe achieve some of the same kind of things that you want to achieve. Well, if, if I take the point about more powers, when you listen to the Labour Party or the National, well, the Nationalists want to go full independence, obviously that's understood, that's in their DNA and I understand that. But if you take the Labour proposition about the criminal justice system, which they want to see transferred to, to the Welsh Parliament, when the Silk Commission looked at this some 10 years ago now, or just over, just under 10 years ago, there was a price tag at that, at that, at that time of £100 million. Now, as we come out of COVID, irrespective of what you think of the criminal justice system, is that a sensible use of 100 million pounds transferring and spending all that government time dealing with something that most people believe is executed and delivered on an England-Wales footprint far better than it could be just on a Wales-only footprint? Um, as I said, the electorate will have their chance to have the view on that on May the 6th, because obviously Labour are offering greater home rule as opposed to independence. Uh, but I say to you and I say to others that the constitutional settlement is as full as it's ever historically been. And the, the new convened Welsh Parliament needs to deal with the issues before it over the next five years, rather than ending up in a knuckle dusting contest with, with Westminster dealing with constitutional powers instead of building relationships that ultimately can benefit Wales, especially in the post-Brexit era, where historically Wales for the last three envelopes of Convergence One and Objective One funding has had to look to Brussels for that funding, can now look to Westminster and a partnership with Westminster on the levelling up agenda, the Shared Prosperity Fund in particular, uh, that ultimately will be the new source of funding that we require to level up 
not just Wales, but the rest of the United Kingdom, importantly. And the important thing coming out of the levelling up and shared prosperity fund is that we have to build economic capacity because regrettably in Wales, instead of building up that economic capacity, we have at best stagnated and at worst fallen behind other parts of the United Kingdom. If I take wages, for example, as a simple example that most people would be able to understand, a Scottish and Welsh worker back in 1999 took home the same wage uh, in their pay packet. Today, a Scottish worker is taking home £55 a week more than a Welsh worker is in, 20, in 2021 Wales. You imagine what that £55 a week difference would make in pay packets if we were more economically vibrant and more economically productive here in Wales. And the Labour Party can't shirk their responsibility in that because obviously they've been the government for the last 22 years. Okay, and you, so, so in terms of what you would specifically do then to, to, to correct some of the, the, the economic problems facing Wales, um, I mean, what, what would be the, the top uh, immediate priorities for you if, if you were to, to enter government? What, what would you do to, 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 to turn this around? Well, we've talked in our policy pledges of creating 65,000 new jobs, 15,000 of which would be in the green, green energy sector, because obviously we know if we just take transport, for example, by 2030, the combustion engine will not be no longer sold uh, with fossil fuels and be ruled out altogether by 2035. And that's a UK wide commitment, obviously. So we need to transform the transport sector, leave alone the energy sector. So there's huge potential for Wales to adapt to that. That's why we've announced a road building programme to transform the transport network in Wales, which lags behind other parts of the United Kingdom. And despite report after report identifying the M4 relief road or the A55 or the A40 requiring improvements to make that connectivity for businesses to expand and grow here in Wales, successive Labour governments propped up by Plaid and the Liberals have failed to make those investments. And we believe working with the UK government, we can unlock the funding to do that. The free ports concept, whilst it's been announced in England, sadly in Wales has not come to fruition yet, and we're hopeful that we'll be able to get progress on that. Uh, and the, uh, the free port concept is identified about the creation of 15,000 jobs potentially. We wish to extend, whilst VAT isn't a competence for the Welsh Government, we would wish to reimburse businesses up until April next year, the difference in the VAT level by keeping it at 5% as opposed to the 12.5% obviously that the Chancellor's indicated. It will move to after October this year uh, to allow businesses time to rebuild. And also when it comes to business rates and business rate reform, that would be a priority for us because obviously businesses need to maintain cash in those businesses that have been starved of money over the last 12 months and reskilling up the workforce to make sure we have a focus equal on academia as well as vocational courses because the economy needs vocational course courses to be as strong as academia because you need carpenters, plumbers and other trades in, in the wider economy to make sure that you can power that economy for the 21st century. So those are just a few of the things we've looked to do, but you did touch on the house building programme as well, which we think is really important to drive economic growth. Historically, over the last couple of years, the Welsh Government has only been seeing about five and a half, six thousand completions in Wales, yet the market indicates we need to see between 10 and 12,000 houses completed here in Wales. So there is a need to actually get our house building programme with the retrofitting agenda and the green agenda really firing on all cylinders.
in this so that we can take that heat, excuse the pen, out of the market. So, so many people are finding difficulty in getting their foot on the property ladder and ultimately their stake in society. Because it's conservatives, as you can understand, home ownership is a big part of what we believe in and people's stake in society is amplified by their by the roof over their head, whether that be in the rented sector or the home buying sector. Uh, and again, we've announced proposals on that front as well. Okay. And what about the um, so, so the the Welsh Development Agency, which was a a big uh, quango set up long before devolution and arm's length body, uh, which had the role of of trying to encourage investment um, in Wales and 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 support economic development. It was merged into the Welsh government uh, over a decade ago, I think, under Labour, of course. Um, I, I understand it to be your plan to recreate that body or something similar. Uh, why do you think that would be, uh, if, if I've got it right, your, your plans, why do you think that would be a better model? Well, this would come under the umbrella of Innovate Wales, which we believe really strongly in putting a package together that actually brings business support and business funding under one umbrella, as well as the promotion of business. We know back in 2005, for example, the WDA brand at that time was identified as being a, about a hundred million pound asset to the Welsh Government. And because of ideological reasons by the then First Minister, they decided to bring it all in-house and put it in the gift of the civil service to deliver on the ground. Now, I haven't yet found a businessman or woman who believes that that was a sensible proposition and actually was good for the Welsh economy. So we certainly would move to the concept of an arm's length organisation that would have the Development Bank for Wales, which obviously is funding support that Welsh Government channels into businesses, business advice, as well as the promotion of Wales, both locally and abroad, to make sure that we get that nimble, agile decision-making process back into the system that puts Wales at the forefront of people's thinking when they're making business decisions and business investment decisions, whether that be inward investment or importantly indigenous businesses looking to expand and grow. Because we've historically always had a huge problem in Wales of small and medium-sized businesses taking the next step to grow into the larger type businesses. Um, and that's an area of the economy we desperately need to grow to build that confidence and build that patent branding that ultimately can, can create more wealth in Wales that drives those wages that I talked about in my early response. And another aspect of business support that we're very keen to do in the tourism sector is make sure that for the first two years of a new business startup, we would pay the employers national insurance contributions to take on at least two workers. So for the first two workers that business would take on, we would meet the employer contributions of national insurance for that business. Again, creating opportunities to create jobs uh, in some of our remote parts of Wales that struggle so greatly to create those employment opportunities that retain people within communities. Okay, and um, so, so in, 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 in your um, previous answer, you talked about the importance of the, the levelling up funds, the shared prosperity fund, these big new UK-wide uh, spending programmes or sources of funding that the government at Westminster has has recently announced. And I think you talked about the importance of that being that money being um, allocated in partnership between the Welsh and UK governments. But isn't it the case that the way those funds are, are being set up is to bypass the devolved institutions in Cardiff? I mean, this is certainly something the Welsh government has said. Um, and the money is actually going to be spent directly by UK ministers 
um, separately from um, any programs that the, 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 the Welsh Government in Cardiff might be trying to put in place? Well, this is always what Welsh Government try and perpetrate, the chip on the shoulder culture. But let's not forget, in the, under the convergence and objective one funding and indeed the common agricultural policy and the rural development plan that used to come from Brussels, that obviously much of this funding will be replacing that we've just talked about, you had to take your plans and drop them in Brussels post box and get approval from Brussels before those plans could be enacted. So they were European priorities rather than Welsh local priorities. And I see a far greater role for local authorities in particular being able to work to deliver these, these, this investment in their own local communities. Because we started at the top of the conversation about the devolution settlement and powers and responsibilities. Very often we're just focused on the powers and responsibilities either of the Welsh Parliament or the Welsh government. And what hasn't happened in the first 22 years of devolution is looking how the settlement would be transferred into other parts of Wales, and in particular local authorities when it comes to economic development, for example, who are so well paced to drive economic development initiatives in their own areas uh, of jurisdiction. In particular, North Wales, this is a common occurrence that comes forward time and time again, that many local authority areas in North Wales, Wales feels very detached from the process uh, of decision making. So I don't look at it as a power a grab as the nationalists want to paint it or as we need more responsibilities as Welsh Labour want to paint it. I look at it as developing a partnership and perhaps that's understandable because obviously we've got a Conservative government in Westminster and I'm a Welsh Conservative who, who campaigns proudly for greater Conservative representation here in Wales and so I look at it as a positive step in making sure that union agenda flows through the veins of all parts of the United Kingdom, rather than an isolationist agenda, trying to work in silos, which is what the current Welsh Government and the Nationalists want to create here in Wales. OK, well, um, let me bring in a question, actually, on this on this subject that, that's been uh, proposed by Simon Reeves. Um, and he asks you, um, I mean, do you agree or disagree that Whitehall is better placed to apportion and run the levelling up fund um, and to know what's best for Wales than those who govern Wales on a day-to-day -day basis, um, which, which, which I think is, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that kind of relates to the, the, the question I, I just put to you, but this is what it comes down to, isn't it? I mean, the, the proposed system, the levelling up fund is not actually, that's not a replacement for EU funding. The shared prosperity fund might be. The levelling up fund is something separate, of course, um, and that does rest on the idea that, yeah, Whitehall will be making the allocation decisions rather than the Welsh government. Um, so what's well, your reflection? I, I think there's a flaw in the argument that you, you're putting to me there because you say govern Wales on a day-to-day -day basis. Both governments obviously govern Wales on a day-to-day -day basis. There are MPs who go to Westminster. There is a Secretary of State for Wales and a Welsh office, as well as obviously the devolved government in Cardiff Bay. I, I think there's scope and room to create that partnership that Wales gets the benefit of both worlds. And as I said in my earlier response to you, I think the problem very often has been over the first 22 years, that instead of pushing devolution out to the regions and counties of Wales, it has stopped firmly in Cates Park and Cardiff Bay. 
which ultimately, as a Conservative, I want to see decisions taken as locally as possible to where the voters live. And I think there's a huge opportunity here through the post-Brexit arrangements to do that uh, and ultimately unlock the potential that has been shackled by Labour's inhibition to deliver here in Wales for the first 22 years. I think there's a huge opportunity here as a country, Wales, you know, there's a debate and a discussion as we go into this election and there'll be a party on the ticket that wants to get rid of the assembly uh, altogether. But they'd have to do a referendum to do that, similar to what the nationalists would have to do to have a referendum for independence. Hence the constitutional carnage debate and discussion that I believe is worthy of, of further consideration on those both points. But are we really saying Wales isn't confident enough to make its own decisions when Scotland has its own parliament, Northern Ireland has its own assembly, many areas of England have metro mayors and city mayors who have huge swathes of power and influence and are put before the electorate every four or five years. I believe Wales can have the best of both worlds with a strong devolved settlement based in Cardiff Bay with a strong, what I would like to see obviously Conservative government with a strong government making decisions here in Wales, working in partnership with a government that is focused on strengthening the union because obviously the union is so important to us as Conservative and unionists. Okay. Uh, I don't think I've broken a secret there, you know, when you have the Prime Minister calling himself Minister of the Union, uh, I think you can realise how important to us as Conservatives the union is. Okay, yeah, and I, I, I want to come on to the union uh, strategy, so to speak, um, in a few moments. Before we get there, another uh, question that's been put to you on this, uh, the, the, the economic question, from Tom P, who I suspect is Tom Pope, uh, one of my IFG colleagues. What does levelling up mean for Wales? Are you worried that there's too much focus on the red wall and levelling up within England? No, levelling up if you're a unionist party means all parts of the union benefiting from that levelling up agenda. And we do know that the capacity and power of Westminster is a, and by power I mean in a positive way rather than a negative way, is, is well placed to actually drive that agenda by using the levers of the state along with working with, in this instance, I'm speaking about Wales, but I see no reason why that shouldn't be Scotland or Northern Ireland or indeed the metro or city mayors across the across England. Um, but it's about bridging that gap economically that we see in communities, like I used about the wage levels that have taken pay here in Wales, which is a big, big concern, because whilst we've been through a challenging 10, 12 years where we've had to rebalance the finances of the country, because when we came into government in 2010, basically the finances were shot through. Uh, and after the financial crisis, we need to repair that. But uh, we, we've got to rebuild now the confidence in people, wherever they live in Wales, that they have a stake in this country, Wales, and a stake in the union of the United Kingdom. And the, le and the way you do that is by levelling up the areas of the country that feel that they've been left behind, have missed out economically, have missed out culturally and missed out socially uh, in the improvements other parts of the United Kingdom have enjoyed and other parts of Wales have enjoyed. Because as I sit here in the Vale of Glamorgan, I don't need to go far into my electoral region to, to find some of the deep-seated poverty traps that many communities have found themselves locked into in the valleys, for example, after the post-industrial era um, that, that we've come out of and haven't benefited from the new technologies and the new businesses that have set up along the M4 corridor. Okay, but um, one other question then on the economy before we should we should move on. 
Welsh business and, and manufacturing in particular is more dependent on exports to the EU than I think any other region of the UK. Um, so is Brexit not going to make it more difficult to uh, achieve the kind of economic regeneration for Wales that, that you've been talking about? Not at all. I see it, and you'd expect me to say it as a Brexiteer, huge opportunities. But you have to take those opportunities as a government instead of fighting those opportunities, because let's not forget the political establishment in Wales didn't want Brexit to happen. The people of Wales told them it was going to happen via the ballot box. And for the last four years, all we've heard about is the negativity around Brexit. But if I can use an example with my farming hat on being a farmer, if I use the land market as a good example, for four years in the debating chamber and in committees I've had, the land market will collapse when we leave the European Union and then the lead up to the European Union. As we sit here today, the land market is as strong as it's ever been. I appreciate many people who might be tuning into this programme might not understand the way the land market moves, but ultimately the price that people have been paid today is about 280, 285 a live weight kilo, when historically it's been down to 2, 220 a kilo. Uh, so instead of collapsing, there's a huge opportunity in the land market and indeed the red, red meat market more generally. So instead of being negative about it, and by God, the Welsh media have done their best to be negative, because since January the 1st, that's all I've seen is report after report of pressures on the marketplace. Uh, but yeah, I haven't seen one positive story about the lamb market, the beef market, other agricultural commodities that I could point to as well, that have enjoyed a renaissance since January the 1st. Um, then, you know, we really have got to have a government that's bought into this agenda and is prepared to unlock that potential rather than just talk negatively about it. Because unless we take, a bit like life in general, unless you take that opportunity, the opportunity to pass you by and go somewhere else. So I'm positive about what we can achieve, but it has to be achieved through leadership and vision. And at the moment, all we have is a first minister and a political class in Wales that wants to look over its shoulder backwards instead of looking forwards to the new horizons that potentially are out there. OK, great. Um, all right, let's move on to um, COVID and, and, and the pandemic. So I think in your uh, your speech yesterday, you, you, you said that you and your party had supported about 90 percent of what the Welsh government had done in terms of its its response to coronavirus over the past year. Um, but there was therefore the 10% where, where you weren't on board. So what would you have done differently had you been in government over the past year? Well, certainly uh, the further on in the pandemic, we started to get quite considerable divergence on the messaging and in particular on the rules and regulations. And I think that created considerable confusion um, around what was expected of people. And one of the things that stands out hugely to me was the amount of effort that the Welsh Government put into the non-essential shopping ban that came in as the first part of the United Kingdom, I think I'm correct in saying, to do that. Uh, and as a Conservative, and I appreciate this, this did get caught up in other parts of the United Kingdom as well later on, but at the time, a huge amount of effort was put in by the Welsh Government around banning people from non-essential retailing, um, when in fact the government determining what is essential to you, for example, and not essential to me, 
just sends shivers through my spine. That just is something government should not be spending its energies on. The second part is around the activities around the health service, whereas in England, for example, there was considerable effort and energy put back into trying to get services back up and running um, in a meaningful way, and targets were set to get activity in hospitals back up uh, to certain levels to make sure that waiting times were certainly some pressure was taken off those waiting times. And I, I accept the argument that waiting times are challenging across the United Kingdom, but in Wales, little or no energy sadly was put into putting a comprehensive plan in place to bring activity back online last summer in the autumn. And that's why we've got some of the worst, if not the worst waiting times in Wales, where one in four people, for example, in Wales are waiting a year or more, as opposed to one in 20 in England. And on, on a general waiting list, one in five people are on a waiting list here in Wales. So that lack of focus and that lack of energy about trying to reinstate services in the NHS uh, really has and will continue for considerable time to be a real problem for the incoming government to have to deal with. OK, and um, so you talked a bit about the, the divergence that there's been in, in terms of how coronavirus has been has been responded to in the different bits of the UK. So, so do you think there should have been closer coordination between Cardiff and Westminster throughout? There's a question on this uh, point from someone who remains anonymous. Um, and if you do think that, I mean, why why has it not happened? I think, I mean, my own impression is Certainly on some issues, perhaps the Welsh government has chosen for its own reasons, good or bad, to go um, down a different path, so to speak. But to some extent, I would suggest the UK government has uh, also something to answer for in, in terms of failing to, to consult with and engage with the devolved institutions. And that has led to some of the divergence that we've seen. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think that's why it's really important that we get a public inquiry up and running as soon as possible in Wales and indeed across the United Kingdom to look at why these decisions maybe were taken differently, uh, what advice informed those different decisions. Because as I said, where possible, I think it would be far better if we'd had a UK-wide approach to facing the pandemic because COVID-19 was the same whether it was in the northeast of England or the southeast of Wales or in Scotland or Northern Ireland. You know, the virus doesn't mutate to different parts of the United Kingdom. Uh, it is the same and requires the same responses. And, and as we've seen with the vaccination rollout, when it's done on a UK basis and the procurement of vaccinations as well, has really put the UK in a really positive and good place. Now, there will be nuances and there will be differences, especially where there are localised spikes that obviously require a localised response. But in the general theme and the general messaging, and as I said, and I will keep on refer referring to this, the vaccination programme, where we act as one United Kingdom in the face of the pandemic, we've seen more positive results come out of it. But I do believe that it is really important is that we do get a public inquiry set up here in Wales that looks at the Welsh angle of that decision-making process because of the responsibilities that the Welsh Government has in large areas of this, both economically and from the public health side of things, as well as a UK-wide one that reflects on how those decisions were arrived at and taken. And at the moment, we're getting pushback from the current First Minister, A, about not commissioning a, a, a public inquiry, which I appreciate governments across the UK are having the same conversations. But secondly, more importantly, the current First Minister believes that any 
Welsh side of the public inquiry should be incorporated into the UK overall inquiry and just be an appendix to it rather than a standalone Welsh public inquiry. Uh, and he's on the record in the chamber of saying that and on the record in the, in the Welsh media of saying that. And I think that is a very dangerous place to be because I do believe that given the responsibilities and the decision making that has been undertaken here in Wales, we do specifically need a Welsh focused public inquiry. And one of the commitments we've made is that if we were in a position to be in government after May the 6th, this is a piece of work that we would give huge urgency to and the commissioning of such a public inquiry with a Welsh focus to it. Yeah, I think um, the, the, the question of how any post-COVID inquiry should work is one that the Institute for Government is certainly going to be taking an interest in and, and, and will be certainly interested in specific proposals that, uh, that you are making on that front. Um, we're nearly coming to the end of our allotted time. Um, I did just want to ask you quickly about the State of the Union as a whole and Wales's place within it. So opinion polls suggest there's been something of a rise in support for Welsh independence. Um, it's up to around 40% in, in some recent surveys. What do you think explains that? And um, what should the UK be, government be doing or doing better to strengthen the union? Well, I, I don't think it's a concept we can ever take for granted, the union of the United Kingdom. But I do think that certainly if I reflect on the first 20 odd years of devolution, it, it, we haven't really extolled the virtues of what the Union of the United Kingdom does for Wales, does for Scotland, does for Northern Ireland, does for England. Likewise, in reverse, making the point that the Union is good by having Wales as part of it and having England as part of it, having Northern Ireland as part of it and Scotland as part of it. So it's that constant conversation with people that this isn't just about what is good for you as the individual, but what is good for us as a country and an entity. And coming through the crisis, the strength of the union, in particular when it comes to economic support has been shown, when it comes to logistically organising our response, where that's been agreed across a union line, uh, that has been good and positive. And ultimately, the buying of the vaccine programme on a union basis has been positive and good. When you talk about the uptick in, the, in independence um, conversation, shall we say, intentions, I think that's very variable because all of a sudden from left field comes a, uh, an opinion poll of some shape or form that suddenly gives it double digit credence. And then all of a sudden you get another one coming right field of use with single digit uh, provenance to it as such. So uh, there's definitely been an uptick in people's desire to have a conversation around the aspects of independence. Has it got meaningful traction? I question whether it's got meaningful traction, but that shouldn't put unionists in their comfort zone because we constantly have to be making the positive case for what's good about Wales' place in the union and what's good about the union for Wales. Uh, and I do, I do believe that leaving the European Union offers this new vibrancy, this renaissance, if you like, uh, in what can be achieved for the union. But it goes back to those opportunities I talked about earlier in trade. We as politicians, whether we're in an elected position uh, of influence, i.e. government, or we're just elected members in a parliament, need to constantly take those opportunities and promote those opportunities. And if we do that, then I think the union has a positive future. If we sit back on our laurels and just allow the indie talk to fill that space, then there will be this mirage that is created that ultimately creates a false sense of hope and opportunity that just doesn't exist.
Okay, great. Um, well, I think that's uh, taken us to the end of our 45 minutes. Um, so I just wanted to say thanks again, Andrew, for for taking the time to speak. I've, I've found it a really interesting and illuminating conversation. Um, thank you everyone who has tuned in. Apologies to those who proposed questions uh, that we haven't had time for, um, but uh, look out for more election related content from us over the next few weeks. So Andrew, once again, thanks very much and goodbye.